0: Welcome to Inside My Canoe Head, a podcast about self-reliance and building a more resilient lifestyle. Hang on and join us for your latest emergency preparedness information, building a better you in the face of life's disruptions, and all those other crazy stuff that's driving us nuts in today's world. I'm your host, Jeff. Let's get at it. Good day, and welcome back to Inside My Canoe Head. Today's episode is the first in a new series we're recording entitled Emergency Preparedness 2.0. And what we're going to cover in this series are bigger, more climatic. Type events that that would encompass a better and a bigger picture use of emergency preparedness skills, information, and things along that line. But we're going to look at it from like we do across this podcast. We're going to look at it from an intelligent, logical point of view. So today's episode is about 30 days with no public services. So imagine some event that occurs that shuts off your public services completely for 30 days. So water, sewer, heat, power, gas, whatever it is you may use in your residence or to support your family. And as well, we're speaking to access to community services uh, from your local municipal or provincial or state government, as well as access to stores. Essentially, uh, your house and home become an island, and the idea behind this is to, to not think in the terms that we need to be prepared for sitting alone on an island for 30 days that you call your home. But the idea when we talk about these more complex potential situations, the really low probability, but the really high threat situations, it's not meant to scare you or change your mind. It's meant to get you thinking logically about the extension of your preparedness, the extension of your relationships, and how you would think your way through this. Because we've said it all along in this podcast, and and I'll continue to repeat it. The best weapon you have is between your ears. And if you're exercising that weapon periodically by simply thinking your way through the possible things that could occur or might occur, in your life, then basically what you do is you, you start to position your mind in, hey, listen, there are bad things that could happen or things could get significantly difficult. But, you know, largely I'm ready for this. I'm ready and I'm uh, I'm thinking my way through it. So uh, it's a logical extension. It's, it's what I think we need to do at this time, especially because we live in a world and we like to say uh, lovingly, is on fire. And it continues to be on fire. And our friends to the South and the United States of America have a very consequential election coming up. And I'm not taking sides on it. It's just consequential irrespective of who wins that election. In Europe, my friends are facing probably a Brexit, and no-deal Brexit. You're potentially looking at Turkey and Greece crossing sabers on the island of cyprus or in the waters surrounding cyprus and if you don't need to be reminded they are both members of nato and if one attacks the other or they both attack each other, neither one of them are going to be able to claim Article 5 and demand the rest of the alliance come to their defense because you're going to have to start splitting that. And in the middle of all that, you have probably the smartest international player on the books right now, who is Putin in Russia, continues to sow the seed of dissent around Western, the edges of West, Western Europe. And so what you see is you see a world that is largely on the edge, probably not apocalyptic in its going crossing a line. But you're looking at more and more potential for outbreaks of violence. And because of our interconnected global system, that can start affecting supply chains for pretty much everything you use. So what we like to do is to take these time to look at consequential events and how that would affect you. So when we're talking about 30 days of loss of services in a major urban center somewhere in the developed or developing world, the reality of what that might look like, how that might happen. Now, we have seen some cases where uh, in here in Canada, in Ottawa and Montreal areas in 1998, 1999, there were some significant ice storms that caused power outages for two to three weeks. You had Hurricane Juan hit Nova Scotia, the city of Halifax, my hometown, uh, and you had seven to eight in some, some places, rural places, up to two weeks of no power access. You see the potential for earthquakes on the West Coast. You see the Christchurch earthquakes that happened in 2011 and 2012. And you start to see that the world actually does experience these major events within urban centers. We do have experience. We have the brownout in 2003. So we're not speaking about events that don't happen or don't have the potential to happen. So how would it really roll out? Usually when you look at the critical infrastructure pieces like we do in our series on individual emergency preparedness, you look at all of them, rely on power. So power is your critical domino to fall. When the power goes out, most other pieces of critical infrastructure have backup systems in place. However, those backup systems cannot last for very long. If you just think of cell phone communications, the majority of towers in North America have nothing more than about 24 hours, maybe 48 hours of battery power to continue their work. Some of the major ones have backup diesel generators that are up that will keep them running for longer, but there is no situation. There is no situation where cellular communication can continue without the power grid being up. If you look at the water supply, the water supply requires positive pressure from the power supply. Those pumps will go down pretty quick. Then again, now you're looking at the need for diesel to be brought in on a regular basis. You look at natural gas pipelines. Without power on the natural gas pipelines, you're looking at about, depending on where your meters, your major regular sorry, regulators are held, you're probably looking between 14 days to 21 days of natural gas that remains within the pipes after the system itself stops working and then the pressure goes away and therefore you don't have any more natural gas flowing into your appliances. When you look at the transportation system, you require electricity to get gasoline out of the tanks that are in gas stations. You require electricity to pump that into cars. If there's no electricity, you have only a handful of gas stations in most modern cities that actually have diesel backup. And if you've ever been around that situation, it is apocalyptic when people start fighting and lining up for gas lines. You just have to see it. It happens in Chile. It's happened in Peru during earthquakes. It has happened in in gasoline shortages at various places in the southern U.S. after a hurricane has struck through the Gulf of Mexico, Florida, or even the East Coast in the Carolinas. So this is not something that's out of the ordinary. What we're talking about is when they cascade together. So you're going to see a loss of power first. Now, I'm not going to sit here and tell you EMP bombs and all that other BS are going off. I'm just telling there are situations where when the power grid goes down and cannot be recovered, when that cannot be recovered, you're going to see a cascading effect in the loss of your critical infrastructure right through your system. Think of right now, everything that you buy in a grocery store is a POS. It's a point of sale, which means there aren't price tags on your stuff anymore okay the barcodes are scanned all of that it digitizes it works exceptionally well withdraw power and there aren't and businesses are simply unable to sell you the goods that you have that they have on their shelves that are staring at now you start to see how this cascades and causes a problem. We can't move things around without gasoline and diesel in trucks. We live in a just-in-time delivery, which I think enough of disruptions occurred in the systems in around March and April of the COVID-19 pandemic that we saw how well-designed and very tightly coupled a lot of these support industries are. And I have spent uh, 20 plus years in supply chain management, have a lot of professional certifications. This is, it's basically my de vivre. It's what I did prior to this, uh, this episode. So you understand that these things are all tightly coupled. And when you start the inevitable inability to pump gasoline, and the gasoline can't come out of the ground, the diesel's coming out of the ground, you start to realize everything that moves stops moving. Everything that moves stops moving when they stop moving we stop restocking when we stop restocking we have having a lot of problems with the necessary commodities we have which is part of what you why you do emergency preparedness, but that's how the cascation falls. Now we got to look at how might major cities deal with something like that. So the number one role and responsibility for a municipality is critical infrastructure and life. They call it property and life. But essentially, when you talk to people who run emergency management organizations at the municipal level, they are gearing towards keeping the critical infrastructure up and running. So the hospitals, the fuel distribution systems, the water systems, the sewage systems, all these systems are critical to the functioning of a major urban center and must be maintained so when that goes down that is their center and their focus because they understand that i live in a city of a million people you would much rather get the water system back up and running than trying to figure out how to distribute bottled water to a million people because i've looked at the studies and examinations when when experts have tried to look at this in north america there simply is no bottled water available it just doesn't exist so if you had a city of a million people and the water system went down, there is no situation or no contingency plan that in the short term can deliver bottled water to a million people. Probably after a couple of weeks, you could get it up and running. But let's just be frank, it's not happening in the short run. So if your water either turns off or becomes contaminated because the electrical systems are down that do a lot of the management of chemicals, now you have boil water advisories, but the problem with boil water advisories is a good portion of the people living in modern urban centers rely on electrical stoves. So you tell somebody they have to boil the water before they can consume it, drink it, uh, wash with it, or cook food in it. And yet they know they have no way to boil the water. You've just turned these people into waterless folks that are not going to be very happy in a very short period of time. So the cities are going to have to deal with that and focus in. And when I read about 60 to 65, I forget the exact number, uh, municipal emergency management plans, the majority of them concentrated on getting the water going because plus or minus. A week or so, you're going to have enough food kicking around that you're really not going to have a hunger problem. But without potable water, you have a significant humanitarian crisis and potential disaster on your hand. All we have to do is look at what has happened after major hurricanes in some of the places around the world, typhoons in the Pacific. You start to see the breakout of waterborne disease like cholera and dysentery very quickly because of the lack of sanitary conditions and potable water. Because as soon as you can't use the water and there's no water coming to your house, you can't flush the toilet. Now you're going to get one freebie because there's water in the tank. Everything after that, if the tank doesn't refill, you better have water to refill it. Otherwise, your poop and your pee, are not going anywhere. Let's be blunt, that's the truth. And it's the number one threat that people don't look at in individual emergency preparedness is sanitation. How am I going to dispose of my human excrement when I live in a condo on the 42nd floor? Uh, And I have no water pressure, which means there's no water in my condo unit and I don't have any stored water, et cetera, et cetera. And I can't flush. Uh, You have some significant issues when it comes along with that. So the cities are going to try to get the water system back up and running, but let's look at it from a perspective where they don't. What does that look like for you? Well, in the reality, again, if we take a logical look at all of this and look and examine what has actually happened in these situations where major pieces of critical infrastructure like water has failed for an extended period of time, you actually see something amazing happen. You see the, the, the introduction of these wonderful community bonds. Neighbors are going out in the backyard and having cookouts. Why are they having cookouts? Well, they've got a freezer full of steaks. They don't want it to go to waste. So before you know it, there are barbecues going all over the street and they're cooking food for everybody. They're having a big get together. And sometimes this is when you actually meet your neighbors that you you never, for whatever reason, took the time to get to know before. And they never got to know you. So it works in both ways. But what you're seeing now is that you, you start, To meet your neighbors, you have an actual explosion of what we call social capital, which is like human capital, like financial capital. It is those bonds that are created between you and other people that give you access to those people as resources and the resources those individuals may have. So you create strong community bonds. You don't see an uptick in crime. That's a fallacy. That's the tinfoil hat guys that'll tell you that all day. You see these crimes, polluters, people going and stealing stuff. There is no statistical evidence, no empirical evidence from disasters that indicate there is anything but an abject total fallout of the crime levels. Now, I know a lot of great preparedness people out there don't want to hear it. I'm logical. I look at the facts. If you show me facts that tell me that crime goes through the roof and there's looting and marauders running around the streets stealing everything from everybody, then maybe I'll listen to you. But because nobody to this date in the 21st century is able to provide that kind of evidence, I can conclude that that's not going to be a threat. What's actually going to happen is I'm going to get to know my neighbors. I'm going to get to know the people around me and we're going to have increased social bonds. But we also have to be aware That this may not last forever. When you start to see the breakdown of critical infrastructure and there is no power, you start to see people who have taken the necessary preparedness or people who live fairly close to the just in time model. Like there, there are a lot of people, especially in European cities, uh, they come home on their way home from work, you know, pre COVID 19 pandemic world. They on their way home from work, they pick up supper. They don't have. 30 days of food in their house. They don't have 60 days of food in their house. They pick up stuff on the way home because it's their joie de vivre. It's their lifestyle. It's how they live. Well, when that all of a sudden stops, you're left to your own devices. So this is why when we do individual emergency preparedness, we start the conversation with the first question of who is responsible for your outcomes. We work with you to get you to understand that that's you, by the way. Uh, and then we start saying, okay, what time frame would you like to be comfortably prepared for? And everybody's different. But the benefit of that is if you're comfortably prepared for 14 days, then when there is a disruption, a significant disruption, like a 30-day loss of services, you've got two weeks in the bank. And that doesn't mean you don't have to do anything for two weeks. That means you're doing everything everybody else is. You're working with community Folks, you're building social capital, you're building networks, you're solving problems, you're working together, but you're doing this with the knowledge that you have two weeks in the bank, which means you don't need to necessarily get everything. Now, you're going to go get the food when it's offered. You're going to go get water when it eventually does become distributed. But again, if you're going to be responsible for your outcomes, it's exceptionally important for you to be able to take care of things on your own with your own resources. So what we see is across the developed and the developing world, when these situations break out, what we see is we see cities, first of all, sending out a lot of uh, confusing information across multiple social media channels, trying to get people to do a certain set of things and not panic because panic is the worst thing that can happen within a city. Cities are then going to move to try to restore critical infrastructure. If the power can't be restored, the city is then going to look at how do we get power to those pieces of critical infrastructure that are essential. So the city are going to try to keep the water flowing, the hospitals running, and a few other key events and everything else will be okay for a short period of time. In a longer period of time, you start to see the emergency planners moving on to... Contingency planning for longer terms. Like, for example, during the ice storms, they brought in railway locomotives and parked them on the tracks near pieces of critical infrastructure and used the diesel generators or the diesel uh, electric locomotives as the power generation for a lot of these systems. That's fine as long as you have diesel flowing, as long as you have access to diesel and diesel is available for you to bring into the situation, which is not always the truth. So the last question that's, that's most important to go through and the purpose of this exercise is, what's the so what for you and your family? How does this matter to you? So look around, and again, these is that's why I love doing these, these episodes because it's all about you, it's all about your family, it's all about your situation. It's not about grand plans from tinfoil hat guys on YouTube, it's about you. So sit down and reflect upon your neighborhood, your neighbors, the social capital and the bonds that you have around you. Have a look, an honest assessment as to when the principal piece of critical infrastructure goes down for 30 days and you have no power, how does that affect your life? Walk through it in your head. Go through all of the steps that are, you know, go back and listen to the previous episodes. And if you don't want to do that, fine. Just go through your steps. Think about with a nice cup of coffee in your hand what would that look like in your neighborhood in the season you're in now, or even better, in the worst possible season? Because we know how Murphy loves to jump in and work at the worst possible times. So you have to think your way through it. If I lost power for 30 days and then you saw a cascading effect with the other pieces of critical infrastructure went down and I couldn't go to the store and buy anything, I couldn't go get any gasoline in my car. I lost internet-based communications. I lost uh, non-telephone line communications. How am I going to do? What would it look like for me? Where, you know, if do I have a kid who's away in university? How does that person get back? Can they get back? How do I communicate with them? Do I have enough food and water? Walk through it in your mind. Don't be panicked and and Running, a, writing a whole bunch of things down and running out and buying stuff because that defeats the purpose because again your greatest weapon is between your two ears so what you need to do is think your way through it when you think your way through it what concerns you the most what do you think would pose the biggest issue to you the biggest obstacle to your success How would you deal with that obstacle? And then you start working your way through the plan. And it's similar to our episode in individual emergency preparedness 101 and how to become prepared. It's all about making a plan based for you. And that's why we started with the loss of critical infrastructure for 30 days because it is the biggest shock that can happen to you. It is the one that is gonna knock you off your chair faster than anything else. Just think about it. No power for 30 days. Look around you at the society in which you've chosen to live and all of the enablers within that society and how many of those rely on power. Take away power and what do you have left? That's the society you could end up living in. And for a myriad of reasons, it could be a natural disaster. It could be a meltdown at a facility. It could be anything ridiculous. We had an individual in the Canadian province of Quebec who fly a Cessna plane and he dragged a wire behind the plane and he let it go across two large transmission lines and he shorted out power for several days uh, in a certain area of Quebec. They didn't release those details, but I mean, you'd have to be a fool not to understand how he did it. Uh So the point being is this is it, it can be anything it's not an alien attack or an EMP or a tinfoil hat or an end of the world, or a North Korea nuclear bomb exploding 300 miles above the US I mean come on. These things happen and there's so many critical infrastructure that are exposed to that, that it is really important that you take the time to think your way through that and, and how that would look for you and your family. And again, Individual emergency preparedness is not about panicking or consuming your life. We do not want preparedness to be something that is on your mind 24-7. We want it to be something that you periodically consider when you sit down with a good cup of coffee and things that could happen. And remember, the most important thing that you can be doing now as an individual is building a plan for yourself based upon the steps that we provided in earlier episodes and paying attention to the world around you. Paying attention to the world from the sense of drawing conclusions with your intelligent mind as to what the potential consequences of things that are occurring in the world, and then how might it affect you, and with that question answered, then how might I address it? And it's, you know, it's no different than how we've all tried to figure out and navigate our way through COVID-19 pandemic. It it really is no different. Um, We were hit with something up the side of the head. Most people weren't prepared for it. Most people were shocked. March was an incredibly uncomfortable month for a majority of people in the developed world. And here we are. We're, we're, you know, we made it to September. We're, we're making our way through it. It's uncomfortable. It's been a lot of disruptions. There are friends and family who have either been injured, and and God forbid, somebody has fallen to the disease. But all of our lives have been changed in some way, matter of factly. And what have we done as a human society? Well, we've adapted, and we're carrying on to the best of our possibility. And you know what? there may be some pretty positive things that come out of this and the way we change the look at work and the way we change the look at life. Just think of how your individual emergency preparedness plan may change if you're permanently working from home. If you've been able to make a choice and choose a profession that allows you to work from the basement of your house, all of those necessary preparations that you were making to deal with potential problems in a workplace now are the same ones you have in your house. So there's you never know. It could be some possible outcomes. Anyhow, uh, hopefully today's episode you found enjoyable and give you a bit of chance to reflect on what it might look like when your cascading individual public services start disappearing, starting with power and moving on to the rest. So hopefully you this will give you a chance to think about it. I hope you will join us on the next episode of Inside My Canoe Head, where we will evacuation. How do you prepare for it? How do you do it? What does it look like for you and your family? Does it affect you? Is it something you should consider? And what does it look like when you're evacuating an entire major urban center? Stay safe and see you next week.